I'm just over here engaging in excessively British behavior because it's Vidra Please, a heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. And I also banged that same waitress you banged back in college. Peter. That's too real, Peter. Um, <laughs> We've had too many I don't think so. No. Well, no, you and I personally, no. We have not, we have not crossed the streams. There was too much of that in our former hobby for me to want to relive it. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. Don't worry. You know what I want to get into first, though? Belgium. <laughs> Belgium. That just might sound random, but we have a little bit of a story to tell. If you don't have a podcast of your own, which is to say you are not a mid, mid, middle-aged white man in America, you may not be aware that it is sometimes quite difficult to understand how many people are listening to your show. Because you, you know, you have trackers and you have a, you know, a service that's, you know, managing your RSS feed and it uploads to all these different services. But some of these things are walled gardens. So, you know, it gets downloaded once into this other server and then other people listen to it there and you don't have necessarily know. There's a billion podcasting, you know, apps and, and distribution points. And, uh, you know, once it's out there in the universe, it's out there. And that's a good thing because people can just listen when you're someone like Peter and I, where we're not uh, really, you know, invested in, in a certain listener account for commercial reasons. Hey, great. More people, the better. That's really all we want. That's what we're here for. But uh, we're still interested. And uh, we've gone the last four years really with a sort of shrug of like, we think a decent amount of people are listening. We sometimes say it's hundreds. Sometimes we get an indication. It's a great deal more than that. You just actually know. But then randomly I got like a notice from one of our trackers that we were in the top 100 um, podcasts in Belgium randomly one week. <laughs> and so I don't know how true that is. I don't know why it is that that happened. But if you're listening to our show in Belgium, hello. In whatever language you speak in Belgium, which I think is like French and German and Dutch, depending on where you live or something, I, your country is a little weird because it's like a combination of other countries. That whole like Netherlands, Belgium area has just always been a little difficult for me I, I to figure out. I think it's Thorian, right? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's High Valerian. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's what it is. They make those great swords there. That's what they do. Absolutely. Well, they have castles, so I mean, we're not totally wrong. Sure. You know, I don't even know what you're talking about. You're you're the Belgium expert on this podcast now. Oh no. <laughs> well, we did watch an expert episode of Star Trek Enterprise this week. Um, expert, as in of all the episodes of Star Trek, this one has done the best job of being completely fucking awful. Season one, episode 16, Shuttle Pod One. Peter, are you are you being serious right now? Are you are you super serial? You hated this? This is the worst episode of Enterprise, and I know that's not going to sit well with your trip simp sensibilities, but uh this was awful. I really enjoyed rewatching this. I really liked the stage play just two guys having to work through their bullshit element of it i i thought i forgot how good it was and i i was preparing myself for an entire evening of like 
really dissecting with you these the nuances of this episode with with you peter clearly a man of intellect and and charisma and good breeding that too all you too would enjoy it only to be terribly disappointed take all those plans you had and put them in the trash can next to this episode <laughs> shots fired I'm glad that you have been able to take such joy out of what is very clearly the bargain bin. Uh, lowest cost episode possible. Let's let's compare this to Voyager. Is it? Uh, let me look at this list still taped to my wall. Is it tattoo? Is it a logum? 37s non sequitur. God, season two was so bad. <laughs> Resolutions. Innocence. Virtuoso. Oh God, I'm not. I'm not pulling out the big guns here, Joe. <laughs> no, uh, I, I didn't. Mm, you know this. I would call this a waste of life if it wasn't for the fact that we found out that Trip and uh, Reed fucked the same girl in Starfleet <laughs> Academy. So there's a little bit of world building here, but this is the quintessential bottle episode. No extras. No I background mean, players. It is the only episode of Star Trek with no background cast or stunt performers. They don't even show the bridge of Enterprise, which That's correct. You don't the, even see Mayweather. You only hear him, which is uh, I'll count that to a good thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Bonus. Boop. The only other time I can say in recent memory where they have not featured the bridge in an episode of a Star Trek show was that time that cats got on the Voyager bridge and peed on everything. No, it was a fire actually, wasn't it? That a f- set fire and they had to like, <laughs> I like your version of events that, that no. it, was, it was a massive cat. Yeah, it was, there was a fire on the bridge and they had to like creatively shoot uh, and structure some episodes around that. I Delta flyers told a whole story about how planet hell, right? The caves. Yeah. The the old timey studio used for that, like back in the whenever the fuck it was where like pools and like choreographed water stuff was a thing. Right. Synchronized swimming was a big part of movies. That soundstage under the floor was the pool that they filmed all that stuff in and cats had gotten in there and there was just hundreds of feral, not feral, but, you know stray cats living under there and they would come out at night. So planet hell, the the caves just stunk of cat piss because cats would come out and pee on everything. So that's why there's a cat pee story in my head for Voyager. Well, that's a fantastic story. That was on Delta flyers. Yes. If you are able to um, gnash your teeth and I don't know, maybe take your belt off and bite on that. You can get through the gear. <laughs> Parts. Yeah, yeah. It's, you have to listen to Garrett talk about his hair for 20 minutes before you can get to a story like as that. an actor. Maybe, yes, maybe 25. I love that those guys got into the fucking podcast game. Where we can put Garrett Wong on the same fucking level of us. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for lowering yourself to to this level. We I can't speak it. to being an actor, but I certainly can criticize another podcast, even ones far more successful and financially lucrative to where you can have a three hour fucking podcast for the bride of chaotica with what See, two and a half hours behind a paywall it's the only ever t- time i've been tempted to to cough up the the doubloons to get into their patreon but that's a story the for another things day. that suck also suck Shut, wow <laughs> wow 
yeah, I mean, this this is a cheap one. Even Berman comes out and says, yeah, we could have just done this on a stage. It could be a stage so that, play. It, in seriousness, that's the quality of this episode that I liked. I liked that it was just these two guys talking for most of it and them having to deal with them each other and the situation they find themselves in. Like when I think about like how bad new Trek is, it's because they would never be capable of trying to pull off an episode like this. Could you imagine a Trek episode made in 2022 where your primary action is basically in a like, 10 foot by 10 foot box and two of your actors basically are having to carry the whole thing if via dialogue it is because the attention span for the modern audience is not there and maybe i'm i'm a part of that problem i could watch this i could take some stuff away from it but the ask to put something like this on prime time this slow and and very clearly low stakes is a big ask and it's going to get laughed away from the table. I think if you really try to pitch this to a studio, even if it does save a bajillion dollars, the the bajillion dollars that they save. I mean, you're absolutely right about all that stuff. I don't want to discount that this was probably done for budget reasons. It's mid season filler. So what are we going to do? Well, let's try and do something as low fi as possible so that we can like stretch our budget when we want to do the big effects stuff. Cause the CGI that we're doing is expensive or whatever. Like I'm sure all of that is correct. You could have done that on the ship. I mean, the, with sets that are already built, I, I get what they were going for. And this is a great chance to really hyper focus in on these two characters. So like, I understand the reasoning, Setting aside the budgetary concerns, um, these are two guys you really wanted to focus on and tell a tale. Uh, my my reasons I didn't like this get into plot points and asks the episode attempts to to put on the viewer. So let's start getting into it, and then I'll air some grievances down the road. We have the teaser and the teaser sets up really the primary action, which is that Reed and Tucker are in a shuttle pod and they are in an asteroid field in the shuttle pod and intending to return to a rendezvous with Enterprise. And uh, they have arrived early, but uh, they've had some technical issues. Their communication system is down. Uh, the sensor array is down, but it's OK. They're they're. They weren't far from where they were supposed to be. They've navigated back to their return area and they have beaten Enterprise there. And there's some dialogue about Reed reading Ulysses, which uh, I do love like the jabs about the well-rounded British education in the classics. Uh, But then, you know, Trip pointing out that Ulysses still fucking sucks. It's like an unreadable piece of garbage. I don't know if there are any James Joyce fanboys out there or people who just desperately love Irish literature, but Ulysses still sucks. I like that when Reed gets um, critical of Trip, uh, he calls it the North American education. It's it's curious that they don't just say American because Trip clearly represents. Uh, as you've pointed out, Florida, the U.S., that cowboy mindset. So it's a North American versus European thing. And they're trying to universalize right things, right? The suggest that national identities 
aren't as important. And also I think there's probably some sensitivity about invoking America specifically. Absolutely. Um, but the, the tax levied there are that, uh, all North America knows is comics and sci-fi. Um, there's a little Guil- bit of back Guil- and forth on, Guilty yeah, absolutely. Fucking <laughs> comics, as somebody who has a podcast for a sci-fi property where we talk heavily about comics. Yes. I think, uh, I think that's an accurate charge. The setting here, and let's start using proper nomenclature. This this is truly the emergence of the death cart, right? Yes. Not simply a a consequence of something totally legit and uh, understandable. This set piece, this vehicle has been put there for the sole intention of creating suffrage. Yeah, this is this is the uh, the dinghy in the middle of the ocean, right? Like it is the sci-fi equivalent of two men lost at sea, you know, and having a bad of time as possible while their lives are endangered at every turn because the tech just ain't there to the level it needs to be. And we'll find out later on that there's some pretty extenuating circumstances in this asteroid field specifically. So like you said, it's a it's an asteroid field. Enterprise's primary role is supposed to be to map this asteroid field out. The reason why the first I keep wanting to call Trip the first officer, but with T'Pol in there. Yeah, Trip is the second officer. He's the chief, the chief engin- engineer. Yes. And the security guy very concerned about the weapon systems on a shuttlecraft. Maybe that's a big deal since, you know, this were they in shuttle pod one when uh, Space Texas took them out? No, I don't think the shuttle pods ever came into play when they. Yeah, they got shot down and they crash landed or whatever. And they wake up with the fucking bags on their head and then they got to, you know, do the oops, your boobs are in my face. Cheap gags. I don't think the weapons ever came into play there because they just like cut to them. You, you know, know, they flew and they shot at them. The weapons well, they got, got fired. They just got their asses kicked by some. Yeah, that's points. right. There was that atmospheric craft. I guess it did. It did jam them up. And that was kind of the end of that. You just didn't see much. So it was like unclear, like how no, it, they they flew to shoot and then cut to them sitting back to back. We got to get to the compound. boobs. We got to get to the boob joke. Yeah. Anyway, so this drags off two bridge crew officers to fly off and go test the weapons in the shuttlecraft, which really seems like underling work, but. You know, if you're going to put people in a death cart on Star Trek, it's going to be command. (laughs) And uh, before the teaser wraps up, they see this dramatic impact on a crater on an asteroid that looks like a ship has exploded there. And they dramatically notice some of the wreckage has markings from Enterprise on it. Very convenient. And they start to consider, you know, oh, knows what has happened. Now, the show makes clear what has actually happened in the next scene. So Hoshi comes in, and what we find out is we're in media res of a rescue story. The NX-01 has located some aliens that are having a bad time, uh, helped rescue them from their circumstances where their ship was going to get exploded. They've got to, like, take turns in the decon unit, and they're, like, using a certain kind of air, and it's kind of a mess, but they are getting them home. They're very grateful, and we never fucking see these people. <laughs> mm-hmm. That well, sounds expensive. You're going to show yeah. another ship and a ship blowing up. You're going to show dudes in rubber face masks in a room with a smoke machine while they're, I don't know, taking bong hits so they can survive in this atmosphere. No, no. I kind of 
like that. You just don't wh- who these people are doesn't matter, right? Like, yeah, they're thirty sevens. It's very thirty seven. You don't need to see them. Like they're not actually I the do important part of the need to story. see them. These are new fucking lives <laughs> and new civilizations. I want to see the moment where this ship is hanging in peril. This generational ship that's been out here for decades with different. Uh, you know, members of the crew having sex and their babies coming up and taking over. I want to see this world ending scenario that they're in when the benevolent hand of Jonathan Archer makes its triumphant return and says, no, it is our role to help people in need. We won't let them just blow up as God intends them to. <laughs> yeah, I think the weakest the weakest shit from uh, Dear Doctor is going to follow us. I'm going to tell while. you what, if you don't like hearing about Dear Doctor and uh, don't want to hear about it for another, I don't know, three and a half seasons, you might need to tune out of this podcast now. Yeah, I'm I would never not. letting this go. I am never letting the if this is this is the equivalent to Neelix banging a child, which I got I got in a fight on the internet, Joe. Let me tell you about that real quick. I've sworn oh, okay. off fighting strangers on the internet. Yeah, I was gonna say was this is a, this this is new for you. Okay. Somebody uh dared compare Jar Jar Banks to Neelix, and I said, Yeah, but listen, Neelix is pretty good. By the end, Neelix is the best character on Voyager. And I had a couple people support me on that, and then someone said, Well, he married a child. I'm like, presumably banging a child. Yes. Married. No. And this dude tried to like argue with me and I'm like, bro, listen, Kess was only married to two people. Both of them was like fantasy. One was uh Paris in the future when Kim was chasing their kid. And then the EMH in the episode where the EMH was going crazy. Kess was never married to, you know, why are we talking about Kess and Neelix? I don't know. Oh, I didn't want to talk about this episode. I, was this why. on Reddit? Like, where did you have this argument? Facebook. That's where Facebook. all the worst fucking arguments are, obviously. Yeah. That's like, did you did you say, well, actually, I have watched every episode of Voyager for my <laughs> podcast. Here's the episode. Sir, I can assure you as a 40-year-old white guy with a podcast. I know my trick. Hey, so this is where the episode has its first major sin. Oh, my God. Enterprise is blown up. As a person with a room temperature IQ watching a TV show, I certainly know that Enterprise sure as fuck didn't blow up there, right? But immediately switching over to the Enterprise and here's Hoshi and whatever ho-hum shit they're up to completely takes the teeth off of the episode. This this play they're trying to make that, oh my God, we're all alone, we're trapped. Uh, Reed's going to go through this crisis of faith. All of the consequences on the shuttle pod seem much more muted because you know that Enterprise is still out there and help is certainly on the way. Well, I mean, that was going to be the case no matter what, right? Like, why build the false tension that Enterprise is somehow actually in peril and somehow the show is going to end? I mean, that's why they didn't do it. And that's why I agree. That's why I disagree with you here. Like, we know the score here. We know what we're watching. Enterprise will not be destroyed. They're not gone. We know they're not actually gone. What is important is that Reed and and Trip believe that it is. What's important is they believe that they're fucked. Right. They believe and let's, that they're fucked. Let's get the now, script. I like that they immediately tell you what's actually going on because that's that provides the 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 sort of the, the ticking clock for Will, you know, how is this story going to resolve? How is it that this revelation is going to come to pass that they realize that they're not destroyed? But 
let's not act like that isn't always going to be what's going to happen. I okay, like that so choice. let's do it the right way. Let's get the script pen out right now. The important part of this episode is that Reed and Trip are stuck, are, are fucked, and that they have to have a near-death experience to get us to the end of the episode. This episode has chosen to build in the false pretense that the Enterprise has been destroyed, and that's why they feel helpless. Let's just fix that right now. Hey, we were supposed to be doing something. Enterprise is supposed to meet us here. We can't do what we were supposed to because our shuttlecraft got damaged. And now we have no way to contact Enterprise and we're going to die in the middle of nowhere. What are our options to try and get our voice heard? Where can we fly? How close can we get to Echo 3? What can we do to try and get a hold of Enterprise before we die? And things just keep getting worse and worse to make the opportunities on the table more and more limited because they already have lost communications by the beginning. So they don't have comms and they don't have sensors. So the sensors part is irrelevant if you get rid of the stupid play that, oh, Enterprise blew up. We can't call the mothership. How do we unfuck this? I So the reason why I disagree with you here is part of the tension in the drama is... Reed being of the opinion and accepting that they're going to just die because there is nothing they can do, right? Not, not in any real way to prevent that circumstance from happening. Okay. The reason why I disagree with you, I like the fatalism that's set up with the thought that enterprise has been destroyed. There is nothing they can do except die how they choose to die and what they're choosing to do is really all this episode is about, which is Reed's fatalism versus trips like, you know, fading optimism. And if you turn it into a story where they know enterprise is still out there and they're just trying to fix the space problem so they can save themselves, it strips all of the personal drama out of it. And instead it just becomes a, you know, a, a lot of uh, techno babble as they try and do space engineering or whatever to, to fix the problem where now you're boiling it down to the personal stuff that they really wanted to get to. And you had enterprise warp off and say, we will meet back again in five days. Oh fuck. We can't do our mission. And we only now have three or two days worth of air because of damage we took. And we are way outside of our ability to contact enterprise and enterprise has no reason to return early I, I think you could have done that. I think at the end of the, the episode, you're splitting hairs. I'm just saying it's a silly ask that the episode didn't need to make and that there's a lot of other ways to color that. I actually like I, I actively liked the way they colored it. I would not change it. I take the pen. I put it away. Mm. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Yes. We'll see what the trauma support group has to say yeah, about no, that. No, no, I, I am. I am not going to be convinced that this episode is bad, Peter. I am not going to entertain. Listen, we've this already thought. found out that the international audience does not like Trip, so you're already on thin ice on this one. I don't think I'm going to convert have... them. Tri- trip is worth simping for, and I will. I will find more people willing to si- to simp Trip, that if, if, no matter where they are. Like I got one of the Canadians already to to admit Mm-mm. to Trip to Trip symptom. I'll, I'll get I'll get the rest of them. I'll get the rest of them. Don't you worry. So let's flip over to Enterprise. Um, we're going to find out that despite there only being 80 some people on the ship, that Archer doesn't know his own crew's chain of command and who is in charge of his chief engineer is not around. <laughs> who's, who's in charge of trips not around? Oh, this guy. Huh. Can he fix the thing? <laughs> 
the story, on the other hand, is that, as you said, there was some un... I, I'm not even... I'm going to say they're, they may as well be just unnamed. If you're not even going to bother putting them on screen, I'm not even going to bother trying to butcher their name. Dudes, space dudes needed help. And while they were docking the ships, uh, which is required when you can't just beam people over in mass and not have them fuse into the bulkhead and come out like part cockroach or some other Cronenberg level shit. Have a brain bruise. These ships got a dock. And during the docking procedure, there was a, I'm air quoting here, an incident. And as a result, the other ship, I don't know, they, they bumped into Enterprise and like ripped open one of the shuttle bays. So that was the wreckage we saw down on the asteroid that actually said Enterprise. So it's the remains of one ship and just enough of Enterprise's hull that it seemed, at least by a casual inspection, uh, that that's what happened there. Uh, and, you know, Archer's like, hey, drop us out of warp. I want to get out there and, and take a look at this. So him and T'Pol are zipping around and uh, the other shuttle pod just really seeing how bad that damage looked. What has caused the issue where the space dude ship blew up, Enterprise was kind of damaged, and the shuttle pod has been significantly damaged? And T'Pol postulates that it is micro wormholes. Micro singularities, micro singularities, yeah. which Archer immediately writes off as a Vulcan myth. And that's a quote. Here's another stretch is for Archer to feel that the Vulcans believe in the tooth fairy. And and by Bar- Archer's own words is that like they anything that the Vulcans can't explain, they chalk up to these micro singularities. And T'Pol believes in them. And Archer's like, no, nah, I ain't buying it. And T'Pol goes on this quest to prove that they are real because she wants that Nobel Peace Prize, the, that Vulcan Nobel Peace Prize. Nobel. Not Nobel. It's different on Vulcan, right? It's, oh, okay. Okay. Noble, Fair. Science okay. is a noble it's pursuit. No- okay. I know. You know what? That makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah I, I don't actually don't fight. I find this to be the least interesting part of the episode. God, you are so, so wrong on this. This is weird. This is we're, we're we're on opposite day. I just I couldn't even get I a fucking third of page of notes on this thing. That's how bad this episode. This is the one thing I could cling to. The enterprise stuff is the stuff that I just was like, okay, whatever. That isn't what's important. It's oh, just gosh. like the frame story for explaining why they're not actually blown up. Totally fine. Whatever, you know, Tapal is trying to hunt for for micro wormholes or micro singularities. Or whatever. It's just techno babble. It's no big deal. Doesn't matter. Fun part is on the shuttle pod. So let's summarize the shuttle pod. The whole drama is Reed is very much convinced he's going to die. Trip might be convinced he's going to die, but he's kind of go down trying at least to do everything in his power to save himself, even if all of the options are so incredibly remote as to have really no hope of anything happening. And then they conceive of of different circumstances of going to the closest subspace amplifier to put out a message, you know, to yes, echo three, which we've, we've established previously, but the point is they've only got about 10 days of oxygen and there's nothing that they're going to be able to do at impulse in 10 days that will be of any kind of importance uh, to saving themselves. And so it's a lot of read, recording very long logs and being very, very, very British in, you know, okay, I'm going to die. It is time for me to, you know, put to put to rest and leave nothing unsaid with the people of my, in my life. So I'm going to leave a whole bunch of logs and I'm going to, 
you know, reflect on, on the, the grim nature of our circumstance and trip is just going to be constantly annoyed in that sort of, uh, you know, odd couple fashion with this dude who just will not stop, will not shut up and won't cease with his sort of emotional processing of his impending death. Uh, here's an interesting thing on the shuttlecraft is after they have their first blow up at each other where Trip's trying to fix things and he's being annoyed by Reed with these long melodramatic log posts, they kind of have their first like cease fire and go, all right, well, let's have dinner. Or sorry, Trip goes for the mashed potatoes and meatloaf, which Correct. will become important to the plot down the road. Reed goes for the sea bass. Which disproves the research that Hoshi did that he does not like fish, which was well, very important while they were under attack by. He's British, so he could just have a step upper lip. Yeah, but there were other options. You could you could add other things. There were three or four other things in there. He went with the sea That's bass. That's true. So. He chose to have the sea bass. He was not mm-hmm. forced into having it. That is true. So although they did reference that episode in the letter he was leaving to his parents. Where he was talking about, like, you guys said that you didn't know where I was being stationed, but I wrote you letters. And then I know you talked to my sister, and she, I know she got my letters, so I knew you knew maybe you were just busy moving. Why are you so British? <laughs> like, he's a little, little whiny. It's 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 Lots good. of whiny. And Lots of whiny. here's another weak, not weak point. A thing to make you go, hmm. Uh, The way that Reed acts through this entire thing makes it feel like never at any point when he joined Starfleet, went through the Academy and got assigned to the NX-01, did it ever cross his mind that he might die alone in the cold, far reaches of space? No, I guess it really did not. Like, I get that to be maybe something that might happen to someone serving on the Enterprise. Like, yeah, to them, these guys, it should not have been a. This, this should not be outside the uh, the realm of possibility. Like, hey, should... we I, I I I live in a place that has schools and racquetball clubs and and bars and um, fucking parks and stuff. Like, what do you mean I might get sucked out a window or I don't know fused to a bulkhead and die? But like these dudes, like out in their rickety ass ghetto sled, flying around with their <laughs> highly controversial warp five engine. I think they should have been disabused of the idea that they're going to get comfortable deaths right about the time that Archer was picking a fight with the space spiders. Yeah, it should have been pretty clear that there were some higher stakes than they might have imagined several dudes pay periods ago. Yeah, but probed by the ugliest aliens since um, Mars attacks. And let's we we really need to start building a timeline here. Our this is November 9th, twenty one fifty one. What was uh was it called? Silent Enemy. Was that the name of the episode? Fight or flight was the space spiders. So no, 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 no. Uh, the 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 guys that were doing the aggressive butt probes that were putting people in comas. Oh yeah. So just the whole timeline is that uh, Broken Bow is on April sixteenth, twenty one fifty one, and so this is November 9th, twenty one fifty one. So it it ha- it has been about seven months. It has been one month since they were aggressively butt probed into comas to the point where they had to fucking finally install the guns. (laughs) There is plenty of time that has passed since the beginning of all this, and there should be recent enough trauma that it should be constantly on the 
the daily daydream rotation for everybody. Like, I'm going to die and in space, no one can hear me scream, especially for the fucking security armory guy. Yeah. Who has had his ass beat several times now, I'll point out. He was shot by mud people and he got like choke slammed by attractive Klingon woman. Oh, and something else that happens in this scene with the first ceasefire is that uh, Reed finds a bottle of what he describes as Kentucky bourbon. Okay. Kentucky bourbon will fuck you up. Well, listen, I, well, I disabuse anyone of the notion that there's any reason to describe bourbon as Kentucky bourbon, because if it is not from Kentucky, it is, in my opinion, not bourbon. So I don't know if our international audience has strong bourbon related opinions, but as someone who lives Kentucky adjacent, uh, literally, I can see it from my my nearly can see it from my house, <laughs> much like you can see Russia from Alaska. Uh, the Kentucky has exactly two things going for it. Uh, bourbon and the fact that there is a Bucky's in Richmond. Bucky's is the best, best gas station. Yeah. Bucky's of truck is stops. Yeah. But Bucky's is amazing. And so is bourbon we'll make Patreon so, content out of that. Yeah. You, you want a fucking story. review? I'll do a whole review on Bucky's. <laughs> we'll just go down to Bucky's. We'll live stream from Bucky's. That'll just be, I didn't know there was a Bucky's in fucking gosh. Yeah. That's almost south. worth the trip too, man. Yeah, just South of Lexington. So it's like two hours. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Well, you can find like an excuse to go to Lexington. You just go like an extra 15 minutes south. Hmm. Get yourself some Bucky's. So, yeah. Reed acting like a bitch. Really uh, an interesting play here. Like I get the fatalism. I, I, I get his fatalism. And I also get his emotional sort of state in that he. And this is actually the other revelation I like the most is is as the episode goes on and trip just his its patience gets worn down by him he just admits like do you think i like you know the fact that i don't have connections with things i hate that i hate that about myself i liked that i was finally starting to connect with the crew of the enterprise like it was finally getting easier for me to connect with thing people and things on on a personal level that I've just been incapable of in the rest of my whole life. I mean, you've heard the whole narration. My parents barely are aware of what I'm up to. Uh, you know, I fucked every girl in San Francisco, but I never was able to maintain a stable relationship. Like it, it's nothing has ever worked out for me. And this, this, this is me mourning this life that I finally thought I had. And it turns out everyone's dead. And now we're going to be dead too. I, I liked that. I like it gave context to why he is the way he is. I think that they could have maintained that and and fixed the problem with his uh, surprise in which he's going to die. He needs a Lieutenant Dan angle. He dying in space needs to be a secret fatalistic fantasy, like it's not a self-annihilation impulse, but something that was a foregone conclusion to him when he signed up in this. And maybe there's even a military tradition that like his grandfather died on that naval vessel and that this this dude who comes from a family of sailors minus his bitch ass dad. That dying in the line of service is. Is the life and that maybe he's sad that it's happening so early in the voyage here, but like this thing has clicked for him already and it's a foregone conclusion and it's not worth trying to fight off and I think that would have been an interesting thing for I think Trip a rewrite and accept okay that pen can stay out like I, I like that change I, I think that would work better and I, I like again I like the idea that this is just part of his military pedigree is that 
death comes for everyone in this family who wears a uniform. I, I wish it could have went deeper. I wish it wasn't happening under these circumstances. I thought it was going to be in the heat of battle, but here we are. And, uh, you know, I've been secretly fantasizing basically about these letters. And now there's this romantic angle that is expressing itself. Uh, Trip, on the other hand, again, I think he gets a little needlessly hot headed the way it keeps happening. I find it annoying at this point. I, I just have to accept that that is his character is that under pressure trip wigs out and uh, sometimes needs a gun pulled on him to chill his ass out. That's. He's That's high he strung and he's also all he's, you know, this, the prototype Starfleet engineer, he's just trying to find a way out of the circumstances he's in through the use of his magical technology, right? Like that's how every Starfleet engineer is. And he is the first essentially. And he is like that. He is like, no, I'm not going to think about dying because I have not exhausted every point zero 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 one percent chance we could live. And until I have done that, I will not accept it. So I will drop the temperature and all this other stuff. I'll do whatever it takes to give bias a few more minutes because there is the chance, however remote, that somehow we could get fished out of the circumstance. And I think that's very suitable for his character. What's the saying? Uh, n- never give up, never surrender. Yeah. Yeah. So you could regular old uh, Tim Allen over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, another thing that happens is that uh, uh, we get a dream sequence from Reed. Where they think he where he thinks he's been rescued, and Peter, I don't think I have laughed this hard sincerely while watching an episode of Star Trek in my life. Were you drunk again? No, dude. So the scene boils down to him basically having a bizarre romantic dream about T'Pol secretly wanting him, and it descends purposefully into farce as Reed continuously starts to say the word stinky. And I just, all I could think of was Dominic Keating and Jolene Blaylock trying to do this scene straight faced while he has to continually color her stinky. And he, she has to respond ever so slightly flirtatiously to that as they grow closer and closer and closer. And just the idea of them having to do that while not laughing. I, I, I lost it. I couldn't, I, I completely lost it. If uh, you haven't watched this episode and what Joe just described to you sounds stupid. Let me tell you, as soon as you watch the episode, you it was fucking stupid. Humorless fuck. I swear. Listen, I like funny stuff. The problem is this, this wasn't funny. Just um, the earnestness and the in the silliness at the same time. It was perfect. It was perfect. Had they had him realize that there's no way that T'Pol would have done any of that stuff and to realize, oh, fuck, this is just a dream. I'm still on that shuttlecraft about to die and then wake up sour with a smash cut. I could have laughed at that. But like, you know, he wakes up to some radio chatter and then there's trip covered in grease. And hey, who's stinky? Who are you talking to? Like all it's missing was the dog coming over and licking in his mouth and him thinking that was to Paul fresh on the heels of to Paul, just putting her boobs in Archer's face, like them busting her. And again, she's very clearly there for the sexy time angle, right? That's part of the job for Jolene Blaylock at this point. But like this is the version of it though that I like because the 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 stupid boob joke from Shadows of Pajem 
is the exploitive use of it. This is leaning into the idea that, you know, obviously, as we have determined, we determined this episode, Reed fucks. Reed fucks a lot, evidently. Which, uh, very interesting, too. (laughs) Okay, uh, jumping back to... uh, Silent Enemy? Hoshi's secret thing. He thought Hoshi was coming on to him. He very professionally told her, no, it's inappropriate because we work together, which really threw up a, a feeling that like Reed's a prude. I didn't really read it at that point as like Reed is overly professional. But in light of this, if he's over here having like dirty jack off fantasies about to Paul and clearly this is not the first entry into this uh, sexy time to Paul uh, dream space for him. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he's got a thing. Maybe he's going to have his episode down the road that the doctor had where everybody found out that the doctor wants to hump everything on the ship. Maybe he's got some some knuckle babies for Hoshi, too. As the episode progresses, they finally decide to drink the bourbon. And when they drink the bourbon, as they start to freeze, because Trip has, has turned down the, the heat and the life support to extend how much time they have. He, he he's they 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 do the act drunk thing, which is always just a tiny bit off of actually being drunk. And I do like that Reed is like, you know, talking about how Paul is pretty, and he goes, "You ever seen her bum?" No, <laughs> I haven't nice because bum. the camera just focuses on her boobs, as you pointed out. I think Jerry Ryan might have had her beat, and they said, "We'll just focus from the waist." Well, up. yeah, I mean, we are now entering what we're going to call the absolute worst part of this episode. No, no why? Why are you like this? Uh, why are you, you, you like needlessly this? set up this bullshit where you make them think that the Enterprise is blown up when everybody knows the Enterprise is not blown up? Uh, everybody knows these guys are not going to die in this fucking shuttlecraft. So just all this needless ask for the audience already. And then you're going to slather on uh, acting fake drunk, which is the fucking worst. And I can probably count on two hands the number of times I've seen any sort of movie or TV show where people are acting drunk and it feels at all real. This is miserable watching these guys acting drunk. It is, it is a very difficult skill because you always overdo it because. And they're probably doing what, multiple takes too, to, to be fair. It's not like, okay, we're just going to improv our way through. It's like four five, six takes of the same fucking scene. Right. And they're trying to dial it in, but it's really hard because you're not actually drunk. Fatiguing like, too, man. Like, yeah. Ugh. So they, I, I didn't, I mean, it was obviously fake, but I'm so used to that in, like you said, in almost all fiction, when people act drunk, they typically do it very poorly. That isn't, I liked the, what they were going for, which is, you know, when you, you, you get a little smashed and you're, you know, being a little open about your opinions about things and you start talking about like, you know, you seen, seen our coworker with the magnificent space ass. It's amazing. <laughs> the things Trip. we'll miss. Showing no interest was uh, a little break in continuity there, unless Trip's good at playing it close to the vest, even when he's drunk. There is a fun part where things seem to start going their way. They got the radio working and it looks like things are getting better. And then there is uh, a little explosion, presumably more of those micro singularities, right? Yeah, yeah. they have to use the... Um mashed potatoes mashed potatoes to seal the holes two holes in the cabin that are currently venting atmosphere 
they put their fingers on them like a dam. And I just watched that video. I posted it. Yeah, Delta, Delta P. Delta P. Yeah, differential pressure. Like, I I don't. Maybe that wouldn't have sucked them out into space through their fingers. But based on what I saw in that fucking video, I think once they put their finger on those holes, that finger is never coming off. Yeah, and I, I sure I, as fuck don't believe some reconstituted mashed potatoes were going to be enough to patch the hole until they could like get the real stuff on it. The mashed potatoes was a bit of a a bit of a stretch. Like, how is that? What are they actually paste? Like, if there was dialogue about how oh, man these are so thick, they might as well be like the obvious joy to make. These are terrible. I feel like yeah. I'm eating glue. Yeah, and then you could be like, oh, they're like glue. Okay, no, they didn't even do that. Yeah, but uh, I. I think it would have been hilarious if they spent the rest of the episode with their fingers stuck to that's the sunny in Philadelphia way to do it is now they can't now they can only fix the ship with anything within arm's reach because both of them have a finger stuck to uh, an impossible. Yeah, because yeah, they were thinking of like like little boy blue, you know, or whatever. Like what the, you put your finger in the dam and it'll work. That's all. Yeah. I So but they mentioned like the ages of of the crew, particularly of like Mayweather and Hoshi being like in their early twenties when they talk about like Mm -hmm. the, the loss of everyone. And I, I was interested. So I looked up the ages of the actors at the time that this episode was made. So in 2001, so yeah, Anthony Montgomery was 29. Linda Park was, she was the one who was actually close. She was 22. So she was her, her character relatively close to the age of her and Scott Bakula was 46 and Dominic Keating would have been 38 and Colin Trenier would have been 32. Hmm. That's a power of that clean left coast eating. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Scott Bakula, he's 67 now. That's the power of not being obese. Yeah, well, let's yeah, down on that <laughs> Let me one. just feel my boob here real yeah, quick. Yeah, that's a little boobie. My Midwest. Yeah, my, my, corn fed, my corn fed boobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, Linda Park is cheating because Asian. And then uh, Anthony Montgomery's cheating because he's black. Black, so. no crack. Yeah. I mean, we all know that. While we're being offensive, let's get into the Eskimo brothers. Are you familiar with this term? I'm unfortunately too aware. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's around this time they start, you know, Reed kind of turns the tables on trip and he's like, you know, shouldn't you be saying goodbye to somebody? Isn't there anybody? And, you know, uh, trip lets it out that, well, there was the one that got away and we had everything planned out. My soulmate, you know, just didn't work out, blah, blah, blah. Ruby from a bar near the Academy. And then, it's like, oh, and he's like, you knew her. And he's like, oh, I think I knew her like uh, more times than I can count. And that kind of hurt Tripp's feelings. <laughs> he's like, as, damn. <laughs> so Eskimo Brothers is when uh, you've got, I don't know the right way to describe it. <laughs> you share something in common with someone else. Um, so I was not expecting this episode to go to that direction, certainly. I, I like you said, it was a bit of a um, bit of a shock that so much of the episode surrounds Reed's evidently numerous sexual adventures within the Bay of San Francisco in the future, like woman after woman after woman that he is writing letters to ever so slightly different than the last, as he notes, depending on who who they were, but all still very samey and generic, you know, that apparently, 
apparently Reed is maybe it's the British accent, you know, that because accents, you know, on Americans, particularly accents are an effective tool. They're an effective tool. A British accent probably would get you laid. I'm just, I'm just saying there's some, there's something there, you know? Speaking of effective tools, they finally decide uh, that in light of the newest and worst tragedies, that last round of microcosms took a couple days worth of air, uh, that they can reduce the temperature to increase the efficiency of the O2 scrubbers, and in the process, maybe buy himself two or three more hours of air. Um, So they're going to be spending the last days of their lives as miserable as possible. But whatever they can do, things get worse and worse. Hey, we got to do our Hail Mary. There's got to be some way to try and get Enterprise's attention. Because at this point, yeah, they know they're alive, but they don't. But Enterprise doesn't know that they're off course and dying. And Paul does find evidence of the micro singularities, and she is very excited about it and she wants to document it. And Archer decides, oh, hey, wait, you know, we barely we did. We got out of that relatively unscathed because the hole was polarized. The shuttle pod does not have armor that good. Our guys might be in trouble. Let's head back now sooner than later. Let's call. Let's warn them. Um, the shuttle pod doesn't answer the hails back, which I would think would have like instantly tripped them off to be like, oh, wait, warp five, like get the fucking let out. Let's get back there. But they're cruising along. So the big uh, play that trip has or actually it's. Um, it's read jettison the impulse engine, blow it up, and let's hope that puts a big enough blip on the map. They do it and that fully fucks them. They now have no way of getting around. They're completely at the mercy of the environment around them. It's cold. It sucks. And there's still a pretty good chance that Enterprise is not going to get there in time. And that's where Reed, for all of his fatalism and nihilism, is put on the other end of the table because it's Trip who says, I'm going to sacrifice myself. I'm going to space myself. I'm going to give all the air to you. This is after they foolishly were burning candles and like as much yelling as possible. Again, I feel like this is all stuff that like maybe Starfleet should have trained you like, hey, if you're ever out in space and bad shit happens, I'm sure we've lost a lot of people to the icy blackness. Like, yeah, well, those boomers can probably tell you all about this shit, right? Like living with it all the time. I needed some sort of like stinger after the credits on this episode of like Reed filling Mayweather on what happened. And he's like, you did what? No way. That's the last thing you should have done. Every boomer knows you. He lit a candle. What? I'll tell you what else this was missing was like that lethal weapon moment where they'd share a blanket to conserve their body heat. Oh, yeah. Like what they did in that stupid uh, the pajama episode where they're trying to like make Archer into Paul cuddle. And that's exactly what I was saying was that if that was not to Paul, there would have been none of that going on. If it was Reed and Trip who were tied back to back and they had to turn around so their wieners got in a sword fight so they could fix each other, like untie each other's bonds. None of that would ever happened here. Here's your hard evidence. Sexy time only goes one way under Berman's watch. Um, but, yeah, so but, bl- but Reed's got to pull a gat on, on trip because trips willing to like sacrifice himself. So Reed has a better chance at survival and Reed's like, no, we're both, we're both going to live or we're both going to die. And you know, I wanted him to shoot trip with every fiber of my being. 
if Trip could have been Trip gets sh- shot a lot, yeah, yeah, but by his own crew, if Trip could have gotten shot twice by his own crew members within the first sixteen episodes of the first season, that would have been fucking amazing. Like, what a good running gag in that that just everybody takes their turn shooting Trip. I would have loved it. They got the fucking guns, man. Like one of the coolest things I always think about from TNG was like, I don't know, one of the times they get stuck on a fucking planet surface in a cave. It might have been the one with uh, Picard and Wesley and like the fucking drunk captain or whatever. And they get the rocks and they put the rocks in a circle and then they they shoot them with the phaser and the rocks get hot. Like there wasn't a fucking tin can or something you could have lit up, warmed up. <laughs> And and a very sad he doesn't shoot Reed or uh, Reed doesn't shoot Trip, but Trip gets out and goes, "All right, well we'll live together, we'll die together, and we're buddies now." Final scene of the episode is in the sick bay because they were rescued, and you know they almost freeze to death, but you know the engine blowing up definitely worked. They definitely saw it, sped over, they got him. There's a little you know moment where Reed like tests Paul to make sure that he's not dreaming and realizes that he's not and he's like yay i'm alive and that's the end of the episode uh excuse me sub commander isn't there something you wanted to say about my heroism and she's like you're not the one i'm into i'm out of here <laughs> i got signs i got awards to win i just fucking yeah. i just proved Big that Foot pixie was dust real. was real yeah like i got yeah. shit to do get, go to sleep little british man i got santa claus's balls in a fucking jar over there i'm gonna be famous i'm gonna go back to the vulcan high command and say you motherfuckers tried to pull me off of this ship and we had to do some dirty ass shit with the andorians to get you off my ass and look at this i just fucking proved ufos are real i'm the most important scientist in vulcan science academy academia with the biggest they throw away b plots nearly to explain plot contrivances yeah here's your b plot is uh (laughs) to paul gets vulcan high command off her ass off her spandex clad ass it's a nice bum it's a nice bum yeah that's what i mean i've heard it from the real part of this that'll be the takeaway for me this is this is this is the importance and if uh the vulcans don't give her any more shit it's because of this right here and Archer tried to downplay it, but she knew it was up. I love the stink look on her face, too, when uh, he's like, yeah, our people are more important. She's like, well, I wasn't saying they weren't. And then she gives him like just a fucking stank look (laughs) like, fuck your people. This is a big deal. (laughs) I just cured cancer, basically. I'm glad you can find enjoyment in something apparently you otherwise disliked. It's been a while since you and I have been completely at loggerheads about yeah here's my last note awful no stakes knew no one would die waste of time and i thought it was exactly the kind of thing i'm here for a lot of character building a lot of just dialogue and talking and fleshing out the universe and I i think there was a better way to do reed if reed was actually excited like morbidly excited about dying like this was the this is fate he had the, his dark fate coming true for all the men in his family. Um, and more importantly, a coworker realizing that and being like, nah, dude, you got to like, you got to look bright. What was the, what was the interesting thing that happened for trip? Where was the growth there? We already knew he's kind of like a self-sacrificer hero, right? Mm-hmm. We already knew he was a hothead and optimistic. Like, did you, was there anything new, a new takeaway for trip for you on this? Not with Trip. I, this is definitely more focused on Reed, um, I think, and, and like trying to figure him out more. 
I did like that, like trips irrepressible. Like I will find a way to solve this problem. Like is, is the, is the template for the Starfleet engineer. I guess that's my really only my takeaway for him. I like your take on that. And I, what was missing there was a speech was the engineer's motto. Just something where he's like, listen, this is what it's always going to be is us against the vacuum of space. There's a way we just need to find it. And like, he's more like human optimism and like, look on the bright side. And there needed to be like that technocratic divine mandate. Like we have the tools here to fix a problem and whatever it takes to make it happen, we can do because it's never going to get better than this. And either we through the power of science uh, overcome this. We repolarize or. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, we'll find a solution. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to stop. I, science that... finds a way. Well, I'm sorry we couldn't find a way through this together, my friend. But what are we watching next week? We're going into. Season one, episode 17 fusion. Um, there is what I can best describe a dirty hippie of a Vulcan sitting at a table with some water enterprise encounters, a group of Vulcan civilians who have split off from the normal way of Vulcan life in an effort to explore their emotions to Paul is disturbed by the new visitors and warns the captain that all attempts in the past to integrate Vulcan emotions into their lives has proven disastrous. Meanwhile, a message from Admiral force leaves the captain with the difficult task of trying to convince one of the visiting Vulcans to call home to speak with a dying father. Thank you for listening to Vidra, please. A heinous trip at Warp 5. We appreciate all of your time and attention to the show. If you could spare a moment and you have not done so already, please uh, give us a review anywhere, whether it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or the aggregator of your choice. A review will always help us become more visible in the algorithms, and we would appreciate that. See you next week. <laughs>